Hi, welcome to BSF. My name is Vicki. We are going to be studying John chapter 15, verse 26 to chapter 16, 33. Please pray with me and we will jump into our passage. Lord, thank you for this time that we have to look closely at your word. We pray that you would open our eyes to see the beauty of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Open our ears that we might hear what he would have his disciples hear. I pray that you would soften our hearts, that what we see and hear in his word would be become close to our hearts and would be fruitful in our lives by your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, about 10 years ago, my family and I went on a trip to Florida. We went to a theme park, and uh, our daughter was six years old. And in this theme park, we decided as a family that we were going to go on a roller coaster. And uh, my daughter, as we were snaking through this line, she'd never been on a roller coaster before. And so I'm trying to think, how can I prepare her for it? I know that, I guess that she would probably like it, but there would be some things about obviously being on a roller coaster for the first time when you're six years old is going to be uh, a, you know, just a surprise. And so I remember as I was uh, talking with her and trying to prepare her for that experience that I would would be telling her about, you know, we would be going up and then we would be going down and we'd be going all around and it would feel like we weren't safe. It would feel like we were going too fast. It would feel like we're going on a steep incline or we're going to fall out. But actually, we are safe. That the designers of the roller coaster have kept the roller coaster in good repair, that there's seatbelts and bars that we will have on us, safety equipment, and we will, we won't feel safe, but we will be safe. And, uh, <laughs> She went on that roller coaster ride, and of course, there's. If you've been on one of those, you see there's there a picture, a time when, you know, they take a picture and then they show you the picture at the end. Um, it was, it was, it was pretty funny um, because she did. There were four of us in the in the car that were like, you know, like you know, going down a roller coaster with a smile, and you're having a good time, and then. Poor, my poor little daughter was like, has this, you know, look of terror on her face. Uh, the end of the story is that very day, she actually loved it. And so we went back and we rode that roller coaster. It was a kitty roller coaster, by the way. I should have said that. Uh, like about five times, she loves roller coasters. So it wasn't, uh, it didn't end up being a traumatic experience for her. But I remember that vivid uh that feeling of knowing what's coming ahead and knowing that my daughter was not prepared for it and I needed to help her. And it helps me think about 
what Jesus has been doing with his disciples. Jesus knows what's coming ahead. He has nurtured and discipled these 11 men for three years. He alone understands what's going to happen. And he alone knows that what is coming, when he says he's leaving, he knows what that means, that he will suffer and die. He will bear the ju- God's just judgment of sin on all of those who would trust in him. He will bear them in his body, on the tree, uh, physically and spiritually. And yet, even in this time, he was, these last hours that we've seen in these in his upper room as he's investing his disciples, he's not thinking about his own self. He's thinking about them. And uh, that basically saying, you're not going to feel safe, but you are safe. Uh, you're going, I will be with you. I will care for you through the Holy Spirit. And uh, so, I was thinking about that is something that we have in us as humans. We do desire to be safe. And five minutes on social media or reading headlines emphasizes that the world is actually not safe. It's not a safe place for uh, humans to live in all the time. Uh, but Jesus is leading his disciples safely to his Father. That is our true home. Uh, apart from Jesus' intervention, his disciples, we would forget everything in the face of trouble. We would fall away. And yet, uh, Jesus gives his disciples what he knows that we need. He gives, we see in here, uh, this time he gives his words and he promises his Holy Spirit. He promises uh, relationship and presence. Uh, Jesus' words are the only trustworthy foundation for our life. I think that's what we can learn. Uh, Jesus' disciples Jesus gives his disciples what he knows they need, and his words are the only trustworthy foundation for our lives. So, we're picking up in these last hours that Jesus spent with his disciples before he was arrested and condemned to die on the cross. We've been in that section called the Upper Room Discourse since uh, chapter 13. It goes from 13 to 17, so we're almost at the end of this Upper Room Discourse. And the theme of chapter of this section is really captured in 13 verse 1. Uh, so, you can go back and, and look at that. Knowing that Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, he loved his, his own till the end. So, we're understanding everything that Jesus is doing in the upper room, all the discourse that he's having that we're studying uh, tonight, that that is his love to them. Uh, he's been comforting them, teaching them, preparing them. It's almost time uh, to leave them. And he alone understands what he means by that. And as we pick up in chapter 15, verse 26, so open your Bibles to John, if you don't already have those open, uh, we are going to read the last, last things that Jesus says to his disciples. And uh, he's at the end of this section, as we look ahead in chapter 17, verse 1, Jesus is going to start praying. So, these are the last, last things that he is saying directly to the disciples in this upper room discourse. And I thought about there sometimes we leave uh, possibly some of the most important things to the last when we are saying goodbye, uh, when we're closing a talk. Uh, judging by the questions, we're going to see that Jesus' disciples are confused. They're sad and confused. They do not understand. And yet, Jesus is faithfully 
preparing them, giving them what they need, and and offering His words as their trustworthy foundation. Okay, we're going to look at the passage tonight in two divisions, of starting in chapter fifteen twenty six. Actually, the the section I think really starts back in in verse eighteen of chapter fifteen, uh, and going going through sixteen fifteen, really picking up on the theme of fruit. This is a fruit that the disciples are going to bear. Jesus prepares his disciples to endure opposition with the promised. Holy Spirit, and so there will be fruit that comes in the midst of opposition. And then the second division that we're going to go through in 1616 to 33 is Jesus giving his disciples needed preparation for the future. So he's giving them specifically uh, future expect, helping them have future expectations. Okay, so let's jump into our passage in the first division. Jesus prepares his disciples to endure opposition uh, with his promised Holy Spirit. And so, as we see in this, uh, the theme of again, we're picking up officially in in verse twenty six of chapter fifteen. But the theme of it is basically uh, verse. 20, remember the word that I, Jesus, said to you, his disciples, a servant, is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. So, really, the idea is, as the world has treated Jesus, so it will treat Jesus' followers. And by the world, Jesus means the people who ignore or reject God. And since John 5, we've seen this intensified opposition to Jesus from the world. People who do not, who refuse to recognize, they hear Jesus' words, they see the things that Jesus is doing, and yet they refuse to recognize those signs that Jesus is the Son of God who has come sent by the Father. And we're going to see the culmination of this hatred in the next chapters as Jesus is betrayed by Judas. He's arrested and unjustly crucified as a common criminal on a Roman cross. But when someone uh, believes in Jesus, they have crossed over from death into life. And so, we have these two groups. There's the world and those who be- and there's the disciples or those who belong to Jesus, Jesus' own. Uh, he's different ways to describe them. Uh, sons of light is another way that he he uh, describes the group of people who believe in him, children of God. Um, when someone embraces and loves Jesus, they do not hate him. And so, we've see, we do see this in the Bible as uh, Paul of Tarsus. So, when John uh, records to us for, uh, for what Jesus is saying, if the world hates you, uh, it, it's... He he's using contrast. So hate is the opposite of love. Jesus is loving his disciples, his own, to the end, chapter thirteen, verse one. And so hatred is the opposite of love and uh, belief for Jesus. And so it includes not only what you and I probably think about as full-born hatred, but also indifference or refusal to take Jesus seriously at his words. And so. Um, we're as we then get into so the the basically the theme as we get into verse 
26, why, do, why is the helper coming? Or how, what does that mean in this context when Jesus is saying, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And in the context, that's witness to the world, the world who is hating, though there is that glimmer in verse 20 that we read, if they keep my word, they will also keep yours. So there is the idea that there's some people who will hear and respond to uh, the Holy Spirit's witness, he will bear witness about me, verse 27, and you will all, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So, Jesus does not want his disciples to be surprised and then uh, drift away. Uh, he says, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. Uh, 16 verse 1, and then look at 16 verse 4. But I have said these things to you so that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. And so, Jesus knows that opposition will hurt. He knows what it's like to be betrayed, rejected, and mocked. And when this happens, you and I are called to remember. Jesus foretold it. Jesus endured it, and Jesus overcame it. We are called to remain in Him. And like we will study next year as we study Revelation, Jesus promises that opposition will be temporary. It will be intense. It will be sometimes cruel, uh, but it will be temporary. And so, there's a call here to patience, uh, to set the expectation that uh, the immediate future is going to involve hard things. Call to patience, to faith that Jesus has sent the Holy Spirit to give us power, to witness to Him, to be His witnesses in this world, and a call to humility. And so, this is, of course, an encouragement that you and I should examine ourselves to see if there is opposition that we have, or we feel, it, whether it's full-blown blown hatred or just indifference uh, to us, is that because Christ is being displayed in our lives, uh, or is it because we have our own unpleasant characteristics that uh, are drawing people's uh, that kind of response from people. And you and if you are a disciple of Jesus, you are called uh, to bear fruit for Jesus, to abide in Jesus. And which bearing fruit for Jesus means basically to put Jesus on display, which is part of uh, bearing witness about him. Uh, so and that and seeing that witness, the believer's witness, empowered by the Holy Spirit is what will prompt that hatred. And so, we can see that in verses 2 and 3. What are some of the practical things that uh, those the median audience will experience because uh, their disciples, the disciples have been aligned with Jesus and not the world? They will be removed from the synagogue. Remember, we've already seen that in John 9, the man born blind. Uh, that Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. Just like uh, Paul or Saul of Tarsus, who we now know in the New Testament as Paul in Acts, has that, has that experience until he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. Um, and then in verse 3, and they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. So, there's, they think they are offering service to God. So, there's sort of a, a piety, a sincerity in the opposition, and yet it is unfounded. 
Uh, it is not based on the truth. Uh, it is set against the author and creator of life and light, uh, the Father and the Word, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, uh, God is committed to investing in each believer to display His glory and His fruit. Uh, a little mini principle I think we can uh, learn before we move into the next section, uh, which is the second part of this division, is that opposition is inevitable when following Jesus. Opposition is inevitable when following Jesus. I used to, uh, when I was in high school, I grew up in, in Illinois, and in a flat plain, I ran track. And when you're running track in March, in uh, April and May is a very windy time in the state of Illinois and in that flat plain and the wind builds up. Running against a headwind <laughs> in in Illinois is inevitable. Um, it's just the way that it is. Uh, how much more is, uh, it's just the, the way of this world that the fundamentally this world is opposed to Jesus, is opposed to seeing him and hearing him and hearing, seeing others believe and be obedient in him. Opposition is inevitable. And I wonder, how is Jesus preparing you, helping you to endure opposition? Uh, maybe there are loss of relationships or mocking. Uh, it may not be outright hatred, but it, uh, it could be indifference. Uh, have you been willing to face opposition for the name of Jesus? And uh, have you taken the opportunity of taking your hurt to Jesus? Because it still hurts if your family or your neighbors or your employer uh, reject you and you experience opposition. And even though uh, you, I do not live in a country where this is something I see every day or experience in quite the ways that um, uh, actually is people are being persecuted unto death, uh, how aware are we that many believers live, uh, believers in Jesus live in the daily reality of life-threatening opposition, and how can you and I pray for them and support them in their, uh, in their faithful witness? Okay, uh, moving on, uh, again, we're going into this section. He's, he's telling, explaining to his disciples, like, why is he saying these things again? Uh, he's told them why about first, per, why they will face fu- future persecution so that they might not fall away and they would remember. And of course, and they, as they remember about these things, not just the facts, but also the person of Jesus that he knows. He has history in his hands. Uh, and that he is more trustworthy. So, as we go on to verse 5 and 6, uh, we can see he's, uh, I guess this is the end of 4b, I, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. So, Peter actually asked that exact question, you might remember, in uh, chapter 1336, but 
they were so filled with grief, evidently, that uh, sadness that Jesus was leaving them, that they probably weren't able to process what that meant. Uh, and so, probably they were thinking in very physical terms that Jesus was going to Galilee or Jerusalem or um, somewhere in a physical place, uh, but not death, not the cross, um, not uh, bearing the weight of God's justice, not ascending into heaven after being resurrected. And so, he goes on to share that he knows that they need more instruction. Uh, look at verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Um, so, he knows his audience, he speaks exactly what they need. And so, here's the solution. Jesus' ministry is going to go forward. Jesus' ministry is a part of God's redemptive plan that he's been working from the beginning of, um, from Genesis 3 onward. And this is not plan B, but plan A. Jesus' ministry will continue through the Holy Spirit, whom he will send. In fact, let's read uh, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So, here's a key truth that Jesus wants them, and I trust us as we overhear this conversation to take note. This has been God's plan all along, um, as that Ezekiel and Joel point forward to God is coming to dwell with us. He is coming actually in His Spirit to dwell in us. He's pouring out His Spirit. God the Father will send God the Spirit to continue Jesus' ministry. And there are two parts of this. Uh, from verse 8 to verse 11, there's an external ministry. Jesus has had an external ministry to the world, and we've seen that primarily in chapters 5 through 12. And there's an internal ministry that Jesus has had. That's He's going to talk about that in verses 12 to 15. That is what he has been doing with his disciples. We've seen that uh, in small ways in chapters 5 through 12, but we've really seen it now in this section, his internal ministry to his own disciples. So, let's look at both of those quickly. Um, external ministry, we've seen that Jesus is coming divided people. And if you get lost in this section, this is very um, tight and, a and, and somewhat cryptic or figurative language. If you get lost in this section, I suggest going to the end of chapter 12, starting with uh, verse 31. Some of these, uh, Jesus spoke there about the his external these are his last words in his external ministry and he talks about some of these things the ruler of uh, the ruler of this world now is the judgment of this world now will the ruler of this world be cast out uh, he's talking about light is among you and explains uh, so the from chapter 1231 to chapter 1250 that is a is a wider explanation I suggest to you of what these uh, verses eight to eleven are compressing in a very uh, tight space, and so we won't read all that, but I encourage you to go back and look at that. Jesus' ministry was in part to reveal who God is, His grace, His mercy, and His judgment. Um, we can look at uh, chapter fifteen. 22 to 25, remember, he spoke to them uh, God's words. 
the Father's words. He did the works that the Father, he saw the Father doing, and he did. And they, uh, the world saw those things, and they uh, did not accept him. And so, therefore, they were, they were guilty. Um, they had no excuse. And so, the Holy Spirit is going to continue this ministry to the people who do not yet know Jesus, the external uh, his ex- Jesus' external ministry. So, if you say, like, well, what is going on in verse 8? Um, you say, okay, this is continuing exactly what Jesus has been doing. So, uses Jesus' ministry to help us understand. So, let's just read 8 through 11. Um, and when he comes, that's he, the Holy Spirit, the, the helper, the advocate, um, the counselor, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. And uh, so, how is this uh, to, for the disciples, a good or advantage uh, that he says in verse 7, well, uh, they will not be testifying to Jesus alone, about Jesus alone. God's plan of redemption is going forward. They get to be part of it. And we see that going on in the in the book of Acts, that the Holy Spirit empowers Jesus' apostles and disciples to continue to speak the truth about Jesus and to reflect Jesus' character and His glory um, to the watching world, that some might turn and be saved and believe. And so, some of those that the Holy Spirit will convict will turn to Christ in faith, uh, and there will no longer be eleven uh, disciples or a small number of disciples, but thousands upon thousands upon thousands. And so, um, then the uh, the internal ministry, uh, once those believers are inside, uh, are included in Christ, believe in Christ, um, as He is sent from the Father to be the Savior of the world, then the Holy Spirit is going to continue that ex- internal ministry, Jesus' internal ministry to His disciples. So, they're filled with sorrow now, but uh, they will... Uh, in verse 12, uh, and so they can't bear all these words, but Jesus is saying for verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So, even though Jesus will physically no longer be speaking to his disciples once he's on the cross, uh, when he's in the tomb, when he's then ascended into heaven, uh, so there are times and we are living in our redemptive history in that time where we don't see Jesus physically present, um, his spirit, the Holy Spirit, whom Jesus will ask his Father and his Father will send, will continue to do Jesus' work. And doing what? 
He will counsel. He will advocate. He will help. He will do all these things so that they will never be alone. Uh, the Holy Spirit will speak to them what Jesus can't say now. Um, we. The implication is that you and I, uh, those of us who believe in Christ, we need Jesus' truth. We do not have truth found in ourselves. Uh, we cannot look in like the um, some movies would tell us. You know, just look within your heart and see what your heart tells you. That's not where we find truth, my friends. Um, truth is from Jesus, uh, spoken and taught to us through the Holy Spirit. Um, and the the Greek here echoes Jesus' I am that he stated in uh, chapter 14, verse 6, when he said, I am the truth, the way, the life, and the way. Um, what truth? This is Jesus' truth. Everything that Jesus received from the Father, he will share with the Holy Spirit. And so, the disciples are not going to receive a different message or a lesser message. The Holy Spirit will receive a message just like Jesus has been giving. And so, those of us now um, who do not live in this first century time, this is our confidence that we have that the scriptures that have been recorded for us are the ones are recorded reflect the truth that Jesus taught, because the Holy Spirit reminded and taught these disciples so that they could bear an apostolic witness. And that is the basis for our faith, those of us who believe in Jesus, and that's how we can be confident uh, that in our faith, that the Bible is trustworthy and that uh, the words that they wrote, even though infused with their own human personality, God the Holy Spirit guided them. He breathed in that, breathed through them. And in all this, the Holy Spirit will glorify Jesus. He will magnify His fame, Jesus' fame. He will expand the reach of Jesus' words. He will empower believers to reflect Jesus' righteous character. And so, those believers, Jesus is seated now and at the throne on the right hand of God the Father, and yet we are not alone because Jesus' Spirit is with us. Uh, the Holy Spirit is not lesser. He is fully God, omnipresent, and infinite. And so, where Jesus during His physical ministry on earth was limited in space, the Holy Spirit is not. Jesus was talking, for example, uh, with John, and then He was not also simultaneously talking with Andrew. Um, now the Holy Spirit can come to reside God with us in each believer. And uh, this reveals the mysterious, perfect, and wonderful relationship between what we call the Trinity, our three-in-one God, our one God. God is one, as Scripture testifies, but Scripture also depicts, as the church has recognized universally, that God exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, in perfect relationship, who work with one mind, perfectly united in all things. And the Holy Spirit, uh, God within Himself, is still others-focused. The Holy Spirit does not draw attention to Himself. He's not saying, uh, in verse 14, He, the Holy Spirit, uh, Jesus doesn't say, will glorify Himself. He says, He will glorify Me. Uh, the Holy Spirit's purpose is to 
continue the ministry of Jesus to glorify and bring majesty to Jesus Christ, the Son. And so that's a test for us. If you uh, wonder, is the Holy Spirit working in a given situation? Uh, You can ask yourself, does it glorify Jesus? Does the situation glorify Jesus? Does the situation lift Jesus up? Does it continue Jesus' ministry? Is it consistent with God's revelation in Scripture? Because the Holy Spirit will never do anything other in contradiction with what has been preserved in Scripture and Jesus' words, or ever seek to glorify anyone else or even himself to draw attention to himself uh, is not the Holy Spirit's mission. And one of Two last little things uh, we see here um, to note, the Holy Spirit is a person, uh, a, a God person, but a person, not an it. Uh, and why do we say that? Because we see uh, Jesus talks about him in personal ways, in uh, verbal ways. He will guide you. Uh, he hears. He will speak. He will declare to you. He will glorify uh, he will glorify me. So, those are actions of a person to a person, not a force, not a parrot, but a person. Uh, and so, therefore, the Holy Spirit will be personal. Um, to see Jesus, uh, disciples had to wait their turn, but it is the Holy Spirit that makes God's Word, word alive and truth personal and so personal that he is in each believer. Uh, as Jesus said in chapter 14, 17, the Holy Spirit lives with you and will be in you. Uh, Jesus knows, God knows, the Father knows that our uh, we have been so impacted by sin uh, and rebellion in every aspect of our life. There is no aspect of my life or of yours, I suggest to you, that does not need the ministry of Jesus through the person of the Holy Spirit. We need personal one-on-one deep uh, attention uh, and care. And so, a principle I think that we can learn from this division is that Jesus trusts the Holy Spirit. Jesus trusts the Holy Spirit to give us what we need, and so we should too. Jesus loves these disciples. He knows that they are a gift to him from his Father. Uh, see that in 17 verse 6. He's leaving them to very different difficult emotions and situations and circumstances, um, and yet he trusts the Holy Spirit to do what needs to be done? Um, do you and I trust the Holy Spirit? Do we know how to discern His voice? Has Do we trust the Holy Spirit to lead us to obey Jesus? Uh, to when, that, when He shows us our sin, that we would trust Him, that we could confess it to Jesus and uh, ask for forgiveness? Do we trust the Holy Spirit to continue Jesus' work in someone? Maybe you have a friend who's wrestling through doubts, or a family member who has uh, grown up in the church and then now has decided that uh, they do not believe in Jesus, uh, the Jesus of the Bible. Maybe you have a a fellow believer, maybe even in your BSF class, who has very different convictions with you about uh, how to vote or how to live in this world. Uh, What does it look like to trust the Holy Spirit to be working uh, in these situations and in these people? 
Jesus promises that he will continue to build his church. Um, and so, do you, do you and I trust the Holy Spirit enough to go to the place where we know that we will find Him? And predominantly, that is the Bible. That's the Scriptures. This is where the words of God have been preserved for us uh, to read and overhear, and that His uh, that He will be wanting us uh, to learn and understand these words. Okay, let's move on to our second division, uh, verse 16 to 33. Uh, This will be a quick division as I'm looking at my time. Jesus gives his disciples needed preparation for the future. And so, in verse 16, Jesus returns to a thought he'd begun earlier. He is going away. This going away is temporary. Uh, Let's read verse 16. A little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while and you will see me. And so, He's speaking of a future pattern. It's a prophecy of two parts, uh, that there's going to be something that happens in the future, actually two things. He is speaking figuratively, if we see that in verse uh, 25. So, what did he actually mean by this? Uh, Verses 17 and 18, the disciples were confused. They wanted to ask Jesus, perhaps, but they were asking themselves. Verse 19, Jesus understood this, and he initiated. He came to them because he knew their hearts and their confusion. Um, The disciples' questions in verse 18 seem to be about when and what. And our questions tend to fall along those lines. We want to know the dates. We want to know the details. Jesus doesn't answer when, but he unfolds a pattern. And the key thought is in verse 20. uh, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. So, that's going to be the pattern. There's the lament of disciples enjoy the world, and then that situation will be reversed. Um, and and he offers an image um, expanding this idea with a woman having a baby. First uh, comes pain, and uh, then when the baby is born and the the pain is finished, her joy is so great that it's almost as if she has forgotten about this temporary pain, um, and so. Uh, what does this mean? What is he talking about? Jesus doesn't talk about when. He doesn't spell it out exactly, so it's wise to be humble. There are possible multiple fulfillments, so he could be talking about his crucifixion and death when he goes away, and then he's returning in resurrection when he was resurrected. He could be talking about um, the ascension, that Jesus returned to the Father, and then his return is to see, uh, the disciples would see Jesus spiritually through the Holy Spirit's coming at Pentecost. The fullest is probably uh, the crucifixion and ascension. So, he's going up and taking, he's, he's away from us now, and we wait for his final and glorious return that he says he will come back and take his disciples to be with him and with the Father. Um, so, big picture, Jesus knows our questions, but there are some things that's not evidently appropriate for us to know at this time. Otherwise, he would have told us because Jesus gives us what we need. Um, not knowing dates and times forces us to be dependent on God. Uh, Jesus wants 
us to trust Him with what we do not understand. And so, uh, a few quick observations that will kind of serve as principles, uh, to just to wrap up this section. Uh, note that Jesus does not dismiss the reality of trouble or sorrow. Uh, to liken it to childbirth in an era without anesthesia is weighty. And so, we do not need to think that Jesus doesn't see us in our trouble or sorrow. He does. He he understands uh, that it is real and doesn't rebuke us uh, for responding, um, you know, being in that pain and crying out in pain. Um, but second observation, into this trouble, Jesus extends his comforting words. So, uh, the climax of this chapter is verse 33. Uh, I think, why is Jesus saying this? Uh I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So Jesus thinks words are important. It's right to turn to God's word and expect comfort. The Holy Spirit meets us where we are and makes God's words in the scripture come alive. And there are sometimes where I am going through hard things and I have been in this space and I just, I can't pray. I just can't pray, but I can read. Bible Study Fellowship has trained me how to read the Bible. And so, I go to the Psalms in those times and just read and let those words um, soak into my heart. God's Word is medicine for you and me, especially when our heart um, is breaking. Uh, And so, even in situations of trouble, Jesus commands disciples' cooperation. So, um, he's implied that we're going to trust Jesus' words are true, verses 20 to 22. Um, When you fail, verse 32, uh, come back to Jesus and get up. Uh, 23 to 24, uh, approach the Father. Jesus telling disciples about a new kind of relationship that His going will inaugurate with the Father. They may feel alone, but their feelings do not dictate the reality. Jesus' reality says, you will have a mind-blowingly close relationship with my Father who loves you. Uh, where is that? What verse is that in? Um, verse 27, For the Father Himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. Uh, and verse 33, Even in situations, Jesus commands us to take courage. Uh, do not lose heart. Do not give in to fear. These disciples have staked their life on Jesus, and He will not forsake them. Um, why? Because Jesus overcome the world and secures their victory. Uh, and finally, his well, his uh, before I move on, his overcoming is validated by two things: still into the future for them, but present for us, or actually um, in the yeah in the in the past in the present. Uh, his resurrection is him overcoming the world. And the Holy Spirit's presence. If he had not been uh, resurrected and ascended to the Father, the Holy Spirit would not have been poured out. And so the fact that the Holy Spirit is present, that uh, whenever you are 
convicted of sin uh, and able to repent and turn from it and walk in obedience, uh, to stop living in rebellion against God, that is evidence, friends, that the Holy Spirit is real because you and I could not do that on our own. And it's evidence that Jesus is that he did die. He was resurrected and he is ascended to the right hand of the Father. And he is interceding for us um, at the at, at the Father's hand. Um, Jesus does not scorn imperfect faith or disqualify upon failure. Uh, noted that when his his disciples responded imperfectly in verses twenty nine and thirty, um, Jesus doesn't mock them or upbraid them for what they don't understand, but he receives their faith in them, um, even though it would in just a few hours be shaken. Um, but And he encourages them in the very important thing, they do believe that Jesus indeed came from God. He does not dismiss or disqualify them on their future failures. See that in verse 32. So, principle I think we can learn from the second division is that Jesus has not left us alone. Jesus has not left us alone, friends. Um, What can we know for sure? There are a lot of things that we can't know, that Jesus uh, does not uh, seem uh, to think that it is appropriate for us to know, um, for these disciples then and for us now. And as we go into Revelation uh, in our study next year, maybe you're thinking worried about that because there are so many unknowns. And um, But what can we know for sure? Jesus is coming back to his followers, and pain will not last forever for those in Jesus. This is the very short part of life, friends. There is a very much, much longer part of life where joy will last and joy will be complete. Um, our joy will come with seeing Jesus and being uh, in loving, intimate relationship with the Father. Thus, short suffering is a short-term problem for those who trust Jesus. Jesus gives his disciples what he knows that we need. Uh, this world does not feel safe, and uh, there are terrible things that happen in this world, uh, things that just happen from living in a broken world, and things that happen also because of uh, those of us who are aligned with Jesus. We experience opposition. And yet, uh, Jesus assures us that He is He has us safely in His hands. It may not look like it, it may not feel like it, and yet His Word says that it's true. Uh, and it is an encouragement for you and for me to know that Jesus' word is the only trustworthy foundation for our lives. Will you trust in him uh, right now? Maybe for the first time, maybe for the hundredth time. Uh, Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you love us, you pursue us, and you have us securely in your hands. Thank you, Lord, for your son Jesus and for his work on the cross to secure our salvation, that we can come to you uh, and covered in his blood and his righteousness and be restored to full flourishing and life in you. Father, would you use us, everyone in the sound of my 
voice, including myself. Lord, use us in your plan. Use us to glorify Jesus. Help us to see him more clearly, to love him more wholeheartedly, and to trust that the, his words are secure and will carry us through even these temporary hard times. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Take care, friends. Have a blessed week.